us please turn to the book of Acts in the 27th chapter. The voyage of the Apostle Paul to Rome. <laughs> the voyage of the Apostle Paul to Rome. Acts chapter 27. And we'll go through verse 14 of chapter 28. Okay, there. <coughs> Praise the Lord. Acts 27. Verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into a ship of Antrimitium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian, a Thessalonica being with us. And you notice the word us there. So we have Luke with Paul here as well. Okay, we have the we passage, the us is returned here. So anyway, Luke and Aristarchus is with Paul as he travels to Rome. Verse 3. <coughs> and the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when he had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. They were going against the wind. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone, and hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voice shall be with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing, excuse me, not only of the lading, and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul, because the haven was not commodious to winter, and the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to the Nisi, and there to winter, which is the haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, losing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurotrigon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, straight sail, 
and so we're driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with tempest the next day, they lighted the ship, lightened the ship. On the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed in Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And, lo, God hath given thee all them that sell with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. And I'll stop reading there, but we'll go actually through 28.14. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your presence. <clears throat> we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for helping us to bring it, God, and give you all glory. Honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> okay, if you uh, see the map up here, it's going to be a little bit difficult, but we'll, I'll try to point out to you what's going on here. On this map, <coughs> in this section, as we come to the voyage of Paul to Rome, there have been whole books written on just this one section right here. So there are many, many messages that could be preached from it. We'll only focus on it one message, and that is today. There are actually 20 different locations that Luke mentions in this section, 20 different locations. There were free thinkers in Scotland. Uh, one of them was Sir William Ramsey, who took this particular section in the book of Acts and tried to disprove the word of God by traveling all these different points that Paul or that Luke listed here in Acts 27, trying to disprove that the Word of God was the Word of God, showing that there was not these locations. Sir William Ramsey traveled from Scotland. He went through all these different points that are recorded in the book of Acts. He found every one of them to be exactly like the Apostle Paul had recorded in the book of Acts. And so this free, free thinker, Instead of disproving the word of God, this free thinker became a professing Christian as a result of all the accurate information that the uh, Luke recorded in the book of Acts. So we give God praise for that. <coughs> but the Bible tells us that he is uh, going to travel to Rome. It's going to be a very, very dangerous voyage. My focus today is this, is that Paul was full of calm. He was calm even though he was in the midst of a major, major storm in his life. And it's going to teach us that we can be calm in the struggles of life. That we can be calm because life is a struggle. And sometimes you have to struggle for survival. We're going to find out though that you can be calm in the midst of those storms and those struggles in life. As we look at the Apostle Paul, we're going to find out what did Paul have in his life that allowed him to go through tremendous storms and struggle, but yet in the whole process, remain calm. Okay? Amen. But before we do that, let's look at verse 1 of Acts 27. 
<coughs> when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustus cohort or band. A centurion is a man who's over a hundred soldiers. A cohort is 400 to 600 soldiers. So we have a man. Uh, the Bible says he is a centurion of the Augustus band. So he is a part of a large group of soldiers here. And the Bible tells us that he is put in charge over this voyage to Rome. The scripture tells us in verse 2, they entered into a ship of Atramitium, or Atramitium, which launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. And then he says, Aristarchus and Macedonia of Thessalonica being with us. That means Luke is with Paul. So Paul, on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar, uh, legally can take two slaves with him, okay, to help him. And so Luke and Aristarchus uh, volunteered to be slaves to the Apostle Paul to accompany him on this journey to Rome. So we have those that are mentioned here. We have Julius, the centurion, over a hundred soldiers. We have um, prisoners, prisoners that are not like Paul. We have Paul, we have Luke, we have Aristarchus. Paul is going to Rome to appeal his case. Okay, are with me so far. Now, the Bible tells us the next day they touched the Sidus, so they leave Caesarea. So if you look up here on the map, Caesarea is over here on the coast. They're going to travel from Caesarea. They're going to travel about 70 miles to Sidon. Okay? They're going to catch a little coastal vessel. vessel. This vessel is not very large. It is a small little coastal vessel. They're going to travel right here along the coast of Cilicia, all the way along the coast here up into Asia Minor, and uh, eventually they're going to make it uh, to Genesis Myra, I believe it is. Yes, in verse 5, when we had sailed over the Sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia, and I can't see the map, so I'm just going by memory. Uh, but anyway, Myra is right here. Okay, so we're going to travel the coastal area right here. As we get into this chapter, you'll find out that it's during the time of the fast, which means it's during the time of Yom Kippur. That's around September, October. Uh, anybody that has studied traveling on these waters during this time of the year will tell you that the month of November, nobody travels these waters. Because in November, it's extremely, extremely dangerous. So when Paul and them begin to travel, it's in October. So it's right before November. So we're moving to that time when it's very dangerous. As he travels, as they travel, this coastal vessel. There we go. Thank you, brother. That's much better. Can you see it here? Caesarea on the coast. Not Caesarea Philippi. The Caesarea on the coast, which would be known as the Holy Land, traveled to Sidonia about 70 miles. They're going to travel along the coast. <coughs> They're going to go around this little island of Cyprus, which the text tells you, okay? They're going to continue to travel. Uh, they're going to go by Pamphylia. You see Pamphylia right there? 
to travel in between Cyprus and the waters of Pamphylia, they come to Myra. Now, as they are traveling here, they're going to zigzag. <clears throat> the reason why they're going to zigzag is that the, the winds are going to be blowing against them. Okay? I don't know if you can see it up here better or not. There's not really a zigzag on this line, but that's the way they will travel. You can travel against the wind. I don't know much about sailing because I don't sail. But from what I've read, you can travel against the wind if you zigzag like this. All right, so they're going to zigzag along the coastal area uh, up through in between Cyprus and Pamphylia. They're going to come over to the coast of Asia Minor, Tamara. When they get to Myra, <clears throat> they're going to catch a large ship from Alexandria. This ship is a grain ship, a ship from Alexandria, and that is exactly what it is. It's a ship from Alexandria, Egypt. Egypt supplied a large amount of the grain uh, for Rome. So they're going to catch a large ship of Alexandria, Egypt, which is going to try to travel to Rome to take its grain. When they catch this ship here, there will be 276 total men, crew, uh, prisoners, soldiers, Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus. A total of 276 men will catch this huge, huge cargo ship uh, from Alexandria, Egypt, with its grain that's traveling toward Rome. Then the scripture will tell us <coughs> they will travel from Myra, and they will go over here to Crete. This little island is Crete. They go on this side of Crete. They travel over to, over to Fair Havens. Fair Haven is really not a city or a town. It's just an area that they can uh, basically port. Okay, right here. Now, the Apostle Paul tells them, um, I believe actually when we leave Myra, he will tell us that they, they travel to Claudia. Claudia. I don't see Claudia on this map, but Claudia's right there. From Myra, then to Claudia. And then over to Crete, they travel around uh, the coast of Crete to the Fair Havens, which is here. The Apostle Paul tells them that he perceived that there's going to be much danger, extreme danger if they travel from Crete. Uh, but of course, they don't listen to Paul. They listen to the people on the ship who claim to be experts. Okay, They should have listened to the Apostle Paul. The Bible tells us they launch from Fair Havens, and as soon as they do, they enter into a huge, huge storm called Eurocladon. Eurocladon. It becomes extremely dark. They can't see the sky. They don't know where they're at. This goes on for weeks. They're just out there in the middle of, of the sea being blown by the wind in this huge, huge storm. So eventually what they do, they think, as you read the text, they think that they're going to be blown over into uh, North Africa, all the way to the coast of North Africa into Cyrene. Okay, right there, Cyrene. This is the coast of, of uh, North Africa. So as they travel, they get caught up in that huge storm which the Apostle Paul warned them about. And all of a sudden, this storm, they think is going to take them to the uh, northern, uh, the coast of North Africa in Cyrene. But instead, they lower the, uh, the sails and they let the wind drive the boats. 
okay? They don't know exactly where they're going to end up, but they let the wind drive the boat, and they travel over. You can't see this little island here, but you can see Malta. In your text, it says Mylita. Mylita means honey. We call it Malta today. Malta, in the days of World War II, after World War II, Malta, you will remember, in history, was a very strategic location. After World War II, they gathered there. They discussed peace after World War II and also how to divide up Europe after World War II in Malta. So it's a very, very famous area. <clears throat> so anyway, this boat was carried over to Malta, this little island right here, and the scripture tells us that the boat is lost. It's completely destroyed by the storm. But they travel <clears throat> by broken pieces of lumber of the ship, all 276 survived. All the soldiers, all the crew, the Apostle Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, all of them survived. And they are washed up on this little island of Mylita, or Malta, modern day. Okay? <clears throat> then from there, we'll look at the text. We'll see they will travel uh, from here. Says Syracuse here, and then it'll go up to Regium, and then from Regium, they will travel up here, make their way up towards Rome. All right, so we will basically get to right here today. Okay, so that is the journey or the voyage of the Apostle Paul. You want me to go through that again? Did y'all get that? <coughs> you understand that? Okay. I don't know exactly how many months it took. Uh, it's estimated close to a year for the Apostle Paul and them to take this journey. So it was a long journey. It was a journey full of treachery, uh, full of uh, danger. A ship uh, of Alexandria was completely destroyed. And they caught another ship, again, another ship from Alexandria, a third ship, which will take them to Rome. So. It's a very perilous, perilous voyage. All right? All right, let's go to the text. Let's look at it. <coughs> then, verse 3, the next day we touched at Sidon. Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends and refresh himself. So over here at Sidon, once again, about 70 miles from Caesarea, Paul is allowed by this centurion leader, Julius, to travel to his friends in Sidon. There in Sidon, uh, his friends, the church, gives him an offering to help him on this voyage. So gives them supplies at this point. So the reference is given to us there that he was able to visit with some of his friends there. And the scripture tells us they refresh him. And then verse 4 when he had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So that brings you to Cyprus right here. Then it tells us when we had sailed over the Sea of Cilicia, this is it right here, and Pamphylia, Pamphylia is right here. We came to Myra right here, which is a city of Lycia. This is on the border of Asia Minor. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria. This is that ship I told you about, a grain ship, huge cargo ship, 
of Egypt, which was going to sell to Italy with the grain. All right, put us therein. When we had sailed slowly many days and scarce, we were come over against Nidius. Say Nidius. So that's Nidus. I say Florida, but it's Nidus. Okay, Nidus, little bitty island, Nidus. But when not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmoni. So that brings us to Crete. So now we're coming underneath it, the protection from the wind. Hardly passing it, came to a place which is called the Fair Havens. Right there. <clears throat> Whereunto was the city of Lycia. Right there. Thou when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed. We're already beyond Yom Kippur here. So it's a dangerous time. Paul admonished them and said unto them, <clears throat> Sir, I perceive, I see, I perceive, I know that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. You see that? Okay. He says not only of the lading and the ship, but also of our lives. So he's warning them. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. So what we have is the centurion. He's supposed to be an expert, right? We have the master of the ship. He's supposed to be an expert. These people want to get their grain over to Rome, okay? Also, the Roman soldiers want to get their prisoners over to Rome. So they don't want to wait to get the prisoners to Rome. They don't want to wait to get the, the grain to Rome either. So we have the centurion uh, believe the master that he was going to be okay, the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. So we have a person here now who is believing experts over the man of God. They should have listened to the man of God. They should have listened to the Apostle Paul rather than the so-called experts. Okay? I mean, we got that today. A lot of people in the church are listening to the so-called experts, but they should be listening to the Word of God. Okay? And we'll find that out <coughs> because the Bible says because the haven was not commodious to winter in the more part advised to depart thence also if by any means they might obtain to Phoenicia and there to winter which is a haven of Crete and lie toward the southwest and northwest. When the south wind blew softly supposing they had obtained their purpose loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. So now <coughs> Even though the Apostle Paul has warned them, they should have stayed on this island of Crete. The centurion is listening to the experts, so-called, instead of the man of God. The Bible tells us as they launch out from Crete that they've got a soft wind that's blowing. As they look at this soft wind, it's not the storm the Apostle Paul said was going to come. Right? Looks like that uh, they've made the right decision. It looks like that they're going to avoid the danger. The soft wind's blowing. It looks like that they're going to be okay. They feel pretty confident, but it's self-confidence. Okay, so 
You look at this, you need to understand there's a lot of people in the world like that. And even some people in the church that are like that. They are full of self-confidence. And what they do is they look at their life and it seems to be going pretty smoothly. And it seems to be going pretty good. Well, that's what I'm telling you. And that's okay if you're with the Word of God. You know, if the Word of God, is, if you're obeying the Word of the Lord and, and all of that, that's good if your life is going good. God wants you to have a good life. You understand what I'm telling you? So I'm not speaking against a good life. I'm not speaking against being blessed or whatever. I'm just telling you, they have a worth on a man of God that there's going to be great danger. And so they launch out and these the wind blowing softly, they are filled with self-confidence. It looks like they're going to fulfill their purpose. Okay? And so there's a lot of people in the church and the world that are like this. Uh, they have such a self-confidence because they look at their life. It seems like things are going pretty good. You know? It seems like things are pretty smooth. And so uh, they have a self-confidence that's not based or not rooted in the Word of God. Just because a person's life is going smoothly does not mean that they're not in danger. You know what I'm telling you today? Okay? There's some people who will stand up and they will tell you, I am saved and I know I'm saved and I feel like I'm saved. And I look at my life and everything is going good and so I feel pretty good. I feel I'm saved. I feel like I'm all right. But they haven't even been born again. Of the water and the spirit. They're not saved, but yet they're going by their feelings. How many people do you know today that are like that? They're not living according to the word of God. In fact, there are men, the word of God, even aside from men, but the word of God tells us that there is a storm that's going to come on this world like the world has never seen. And people live their lives without God and seem like everything's going pretty good. Um, and they discount the warnings that there is a storm that's going to hit this world. And just because everything's going pretty good in their life right now, they're filled with a self-confidence that they're going to end up in a storm. You understand what I'm telling you? So, <clears throat> you know people like that. You know people who are not living for the Lord. They go completely against the Word of God. They go against the warnings of the Lord. But they will stand up and tell you everything's okay with me. Everything's alright with my life. My life's going pretty smoothly. And they'll even say, I'm blessed. And they'll even tell you, I'm saved. And they're not even living right. That is a self-confidence. And that's what happened with these people here. The Bible says in verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing, say supposing, that they had obtained their purpose, losing fence, they sailed close by Crete. You see, they feel pretty good. They feel pretty confident. Everything's going the way I want it to go. I don't have any problems, you know. And I'm saved and I'm okay and I can go against the Word of God and I can go against the warnings of Scripture and all of these things, but it'll be all right. We find out in the next verse what happens. The scripture says, But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called the Rockaway. Right after that. You see, they thought everything was okay. 
They're looking at their lives full of self-confidence. They're calm, but their calm is a false calmness. Their confidence is rooted in human expertise. See, their confidence is rooted in what they see right now. Everything's okay right now. So the master of the ship must have been right. The centurion must have been right to say, let's sail. But Paul warned them. You see what I'm telling you? All the experts are saying it's going to be okay. And we're looking and it seems like everything's going all right right now. But the warning is come. And the storm is going to take place. And so after listening to the experts and looking and thinking it's going to be all right because everything seems to be going pretty smoothly, all of a sudden the word of the Apostle Paul comes to pass. Because they enter into, all of a sudden this storm comes down <coughs> there into the sea and it catches them, the rock of them. I mean, it's major. It's so major. They've got to undergird the ship. They've got to throw ropes around the bottom of the ship tie it up to keep it from disintegrating, from falling apart. It's a horrible, horrible storm. They can't see the lights. It's dark. This goes on for weeks. They don't know where they are. They think they're going to crash on the north coast, uh, the coast of North Africa and Cyrene. It is a horrible, horrible situation. They should have listened to the Apostle Paul. How I many of you know what I'm telling you? How I many you know people like this? They have a false sense of confidence. A false security, a false confidence. And they're going by all what all the experts say. And they're not going by what the Word of God says. Okay. <clears throat> so the Bible tells us. Verse 14, but not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up, into the wind we let her drive they just <clears throat> pulled the sails down and they just let the wind drive the boat the ship wherever uh, the wind would take it <coughs> now the scripture tells us this and running under a certain island which is called Clotta we had much work to come by the boat which when they had taken up and they, they used helps there we go undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike, sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest in the next, the next day, they lightened the ship. So now, not only are they undergirding the ship with these ropes to tie it up, to keep it from falling apart, but now they've got to throw the grain over into the water. They were wanting to get the grain to, to Rome. That's why they left. They were in a hurry, you know. We got to get our grain. We got to get our cargo. We got to get our soldiers in relationship to the to the soldiers. Uh, we got to get our prisoners. But now they got to throw that thing over the sea to the sea, man. They got to throw the grain that they were going to deliver to Rome. They got to throw it out. You see, that's uh, they should have listened to Paul. They should have stayed over there in Crete. <clears throat> the Bible says. They lighten the ship, and the third day we cast out our own hand, with our own hands, the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, 
and, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. It was that bad. Uh, Paul had already, say, already said that the danger was going to be so great that they would not only lose the cargo of the ship, uh, Look at verse 10. He said, And sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship. He said, You're going to lose your ship and also your cargo. And it's possible uh, your lives. Okay, your lives are going to be at stake. All right? So now the Bible tells us that all hope that they should be saved was then lost. Verse 21, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth and missed them, said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. They should have listened to the warning of the Apostle Paul. I don't think he had an attitude like, I told you so, but he did tell them so. Yeah, hey, <clears throat> Sir, you, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. If you listen to your so-called experts, Sirs, you should have listened to me, but you looked at the wind blowing softly and it looked like that everything was going okay with your plans. You found out that you should have listened to Paul. The Bible says you should not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss and now I exhort you to be of good cheer. So now he's got a good word. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. How in the, how in the world this man can be so calm? How can he be so calm? I mean, the ship's going to be lost, the cargo's going to be lost, the possibility of their lives being lost, and this man stands up and says, be of good cheer. <coughs> He's completely calm the whole time. Why is he calm? In the midst of the storm. Why is he calm in the midst of struggle? This is a key for us. This will help you. It will help me. I will say this. That a lot of times, and this wasn't Paul's motive, but a lot of times, most people spend all of their life trying to find a way not to be in a storm. Okay? They really do. They spend their whole life trying to stay away from all storms. The storms are inevitable. The struggles are life are coming. So you can't avoid every storm that comes in your life. What you have to do is, you have to be like Paul. If you're in the storm, you have to learn how to find a shelter in God. And then once you find a shelter in God, then you become a shelter for others. Okay? So you could go through life and <clears throat> try to avoid all storms and all struggles. But really, what you're going to find, what is necessary, is that when you enter into the struggles of life or the storms of life, it's not avoiding the storm but it is being a shelter to somebody else because you've learned how to find shelter for yourself. See, 
you can go to pieces. You can lose it. Okay? And 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 I can too. And and so if in the midst of struggle, in the midst of storms, if we lose our calm, if we go to pieces, <coughs> then we're not even good to anybody. We can't be a shelter to anybody. We can't. Nobody can find strength from us. Is if we find ourselves in a struggle or a storm, when we do, we go to pieces. So the people that are there with us, they can't find strength. They can't find a shelter because you haven't found it. So instead of avoiding storms, now there's some storms that are avoidable. If God warns you about the storm, and he's telling you about the storm so you don't go into the storm, don't go. But if you find yourself in a struggle in the storm, then what do you do? You don't go to pieces. You stay calm like the Apostle Paul. And you find a shelter in the invisible God. And then when you find a shelter in the invisible God, then you can stand up and tell other people, be of good cheer, it's going to be all right. If you don't have that calmness in your life, if you haven't found that shelter in your life in the midst of storm, then you or I cannot help anybody else. So I can't always avoid struggles in life. I cannot avoid storms in life. I cannot avoid problems in life. They're coming. But the key is knowing that God is with you. Paul knew that God was with him. Okay? I mean, he can't avoid the storm. They've launched out. He warned them. They launched out. They're in a storm now. They're in a struggle for their very life, for their very survival. So now he's got to find a word from the invisible God. And that's what he does. He's just so calm. And he finds his shelter in God. And therefore, because Paul is in that boat, the 275 other people that are there, they're going to find a shelter in him. Because he has found a shelter in God. So there's a lot of things we can learn from here, alright? Number one, don't enter into self-confidence. Don't put your confidence in so-called experts when they go against the Word of God. And don't look at your life and, and everything going smoothly, but you know you're not living the way you should live. You'll find yourself in a storm. Number three, when you do find yourself in a storm, then you need to be like Paul and you need to be calm knowing that God is with you even though you cannot see Him. He's the invisible God, but I'm aware of His presence. <clears throat> so what kept Paul calm in the midst of the storm was that he knew that God was with him. He knew the presence of the Lord was there even though he could not see God. Have you ever been in situations, storms and struggles in your life? You said, if I could just see God, if Jesus would just appear to me right now, or if he would just show me the way out, I'll be okay. And you want him to show up physically. You want to see him with your physical eye. And you want him to show you in a physical way the way out of this struggle and the way out of this storm. Sometimes, most of the time, He's not going to come to you and show himself to you physically where you can see him with a physical eye. 
He's not always going to show you the way out. You're going to have to know He's with you in the midst of the struggle and in the midst of the storm. Instead of looking for Him with a physical eye, you have to see Him with a spiritual eye. And what I mean by that, God is here. Even though I can't see Him with my physical eye, I know God is with me right now in this storm and in this struggle that I'm in. And I and so I don't see Him physically, but I see Him spiritually. I'm aware at all times of His presence, even though I can't see Him with my physical eye. If you go back with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> you will see that He appears to His disciples after His crucifixion, His resurrection. He appears to His disciples, and then He vanishes. He appears to His disciples, and He vanishes. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us He appears to His disciples only to be taken up from them. Acts 1, 9-10. Only to vanish from their sight. He appeared to them multiple, multiple times and then vanished. Appeared only to vanish. Appeared with the purpose of vanishing. Did you catch that? I'll say it again. Appeared to them physically with the purpose of vanishing. Why did He appear to them with the purpose of vanishing? Did you catch that? He didn't just appear to them. He appeared to them with a purpose. And the purpose He appeared to them was so He could vanish from their physical life. And I told you at the very beginning of the book of Acts, I told you that Jesus was playing, playing peekaboo with His disciples. <clears throat> like a mother brings that baby home from the hospital, puts that little baby in the crib, and the little baby starts screaming for mom. Where's mom? The baby's afraid. Okay? It's very interesting to me, even in this chapter, in the book of Acts chapter 27, and I'll show it, point it to you, that when it talks about a, a certain babe that they come to, that literally means the bosom. It's like a little baby in the bosom of its mother when it's afraid. It's used in the text. So Jesus appeared to His disciples multiple times with the purpose of vanishing. And He played peekaboo with His disciples like a mother does when she brings that baby home from the hospital and puts it in the crib. And the baby starts crying and the mother will go around and peek around the corner and say, peekaboo. And the baby will get calm because it can see mom with its physical eye. Baby starts smiling, is happy again, and the mom walks out of the room. And the baby starts crying again. The mom walks around the corner and says, Peekaboo. And the baby gets happy again. She feels secure, or he feels secure again. And the mom plays this game with that baby. You know why she does that? Because she wants that baby to know that even though that baby cannot see her with its physical eyes, She's still there. So Jesus played peekaboo with His disciples, banishing or appearing with the purpose of banishing 
appearing to them where they could see him physically with a purpose to disappear. So that when they got in the storms of life, they wouldn't always have to see him with their physical eyes. They would know, even though I don't see him with my physical eyes, I know he's with We started the book of Acts that way. We're ending the book of Acts that way. The reason why the Apostle Paul could be so calm in the midst of the struggles of life and in the midst of, of uh, storms in life is because even though he didn't see Jesus physically with his eyes, he saw an angel of the Lord. But even though he didn't see Jesus with his physical eyes, he knew that the Lord is present. I'm aware of his presence even though I cannot see him. This is what he was trying to teach the disciples right after his resurrection. And that's what you and I need to understand. I mean, how many of us would love to have Jesus appear to us in a time of struggle, in a storm that's in our lives, but we think we're going to lose our life, we think we're going to lose everything. And we want the Lord to appear to us physically and get us out of this mess and show us the way out. What he's trying to teach you today that he doesn't always deliver you out of that storm. But what you need to remember is that he is present with you and that you need to be aware of his presence at all times, no matter what circumstance, no matter what the storm, no matter what the struggle in life is, the Lord is with me. And I'm aware of his presence at all times. And I'm not putting my confidence in experts. I'm not putting my confidence in my life going smoothly when I have a warning not to do something. I'm not listening to people that will mislead me. I'm not going to look at my life and say, well, I must have got it the way I wanted it. This is what I wanted, and I did it anyway, and I went against the warning, but it looks like it's going pretty good for me. It looks like I'm pretty blessed. The storm's coming in your life. And you'll find out that you're not going to get it the way you want it if you go against the Word of God. It just doesn't happen that way. If you go against the Word of God and you take the Word of experts, it may appear like everything's going your way, but the storm's coming in your life. What you have to understand is you don't want to put confidence in self. And you don't want to put confidence in the words of experts. You want to put confidence in the Word of God and a warning that's coming from you. But if you find yourself in a storm and a struggle life, and you will, you have to be aware of the presence of the invisible God. He's invisible. This is what Moses, this is what got Moses through. This is what got David through his times of struggle. This is what got Paul through was his awareness of God. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27, look at what the apostle or, or Moses said. Hebrews chapter 11. <coughs> Verse 27. <clears throat> By faith he forsook Egypt, speaking of Moses, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured Say endurance as seeing him that what was invisible. See what Moses got, what got Moses through his time of test and trial when the, the king, you know, the king could have killed him. 
But instead, he walked by faith. He put his faith in the invisible king, not the visible expert. He put his faith in the invisible king instead of the visible king, Pharaoh. And that's what allowed him to endure in his life. That's what got him through. This is what Moses walked by all of his life. When he walked through the wilderness with two to, two to six million Jews, that's what got him through the wilderness as seeing him which was invisible. I know there was a glory cloud there, the visible presence of God. But what got Moses through was as seeing him which is invisible. That means he did not go by what he saw with his physical eyes. He went by knowing. And seeing with his spiritual eyes what he did not see with his physical eyes, and that is God is with me even though I can't see him, even though he's invisible. I'm aware of his presence right now. And that is the Apostle Paul. He knew God was with him. He was aware of the presence of the Lord all the days of his life. Struggles and storms. He knew God was there. He was aware of the presence of the Lord. Are, now, don't lift your hand. I'm asking you a question for you to think. Are you aware of the presence of the invisible God when you're in a storm or a struggle in your life? And if you're in that struggle and that storm in your life, because you are aware of the presence of the invisible God, you have found a shelter in Him. And because of that, you are calm in the storm. And because of that, somebody else is going to find a shelter in you. This was why Paul was calm. But because he endured as seeing Him which was invisible. He had the ability to be aware of the presence of God and see Him, not physically, but see him spiritually. I know God is with me. And because God is with me, I'm calm. Not worried about it. I know it's a storm. It's a struggle. It's a struggle for survival. We, you know, it's going to be rough, but my trials are coming, but I know God is with me. How do you know? Do you see him? Not with my physical eyes, but I see him that is invisible. I see him in the spirit. I am spiritually aware of His presence. I live in the reality that God is with me. I'm, I live in the reality and the awareness that I know that God is here right now. So I'm not going to fall apart. I'm not going to fall to pieces when the storm and struggle comes. Because I have to find my shelter in Him so somebody else can find a shelter in me. And when we look at the strength of the Apostle Paul, in a time of storm, in a time of struggle, we can find strength from this man. That's why I can preach to you this morning, this message, to let you know that Jesus appeared that he might vanish. That was the purpose he appeared, that he might disappear. So that you could learn to walk, by God, walk with God by faith and live for God by faith, knowing that God is there and you're aware of his presence. Therefore, when the storms and struggles come in your life, or when you're tempted, when you're tempted to go by your self-confidence and to go against the warning of the Word of God and you look like I've got my way, you know the storm's coming. And so the life of the Apostle Paul is a strength to me to, to know what to do, not to put my, 
put confidence in myself or, or go against the Word of God and think that because my life is pretty smooth in the process that everything's okay. It's not. But when I'm in a storm and I'm in a struggle, to know that God is with me. And God's going to get me through it. And i got to find my shelter in Him. i got to find my strength in Him. Because there's somebody out there that's in a storm, that's in a struggle, that needs to see strength in me. And needs to find a shelter in me. You understand what I'm telling you today? And that was the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Go back to Psalm 25. Remember we preached the Psalms. Not long ago we finished the Psalms. And you can remember David. Look at David, Psalm 25. <coughs> in verse 14. Look at what David says. Psalm 25, verse 14. I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll just start at verse 10. But this Psalm 25 is an acrostic. <clears throat> that means <coughs> that there are, each one of these verses begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. An acrostic, you understand what I'm saying to you? How many letters is Psalm 25? How many verses in Psalm 25? 22 verses. How many Hebrew letters are there? 22 Hebrew letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So this is an acrostic. The first verse begins with the Aleph. The second verse begins with the Beit. And all the way through the 22 verses here, one of the Hebrew alphabets, progressively as you go through the Hebrew alphabet, the letter begins the verse. And the reason why it does is so that the Hebrew families could teach their children to memorize Psalm 25. It was a tool that God gave them to help them memorize the psalm. When you come to Psalm 25, David said in verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. If you read this whole psalm, you'll see David is in this huge storm and a huge struggle in his life. There's all kinds of problems in David's life. But he says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. The fear of the Lord. God reveals to people who have a right attitude toward him. Those who fear God. Those who have a right attitude toward the Lord. The Bible tells us to them belong the secret of the Lord. What is the secret of the Lord? The secret of the Lord is I'm aware of His presence. It might be a secret to other people that the Lord is here, but it's not a secret to those who fear Him. 
They know that God is with them and that God will show them His covenant. The secret of the Lord is with them who have a right attitude toward the Lord. And He will show them His covenant. So when you're going through life and you have all kinds of struggles and storms and, and David here, he can only speak of Jesus Christ prophetically. The Apostle Paul could speak of Jesus Christ has already seen Him. Physically and already knows the reality of the prophecy. But just like Paul knew, he had a secret that day. He, the secret of his calmness. What was the secret of his calmness? He had a right attitude toward God. Because he feared the Lord, he had a right attitude toward God. He knew God was with him. He was aware of the presence of the Lord. The secret of the Lord was with him just like it was with David. If you have a right attitude toward God, you fear God. You'll go through life with an awareness of the presence of God. It's there. And you'll be calm. It doesn't matter what comes to your life. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Is the secret of the Lord with you today? Is the secret of the Lord, the secret of the Lord, are you aware of His presence? Because your attitude is right towards Him. Your attitude's not right toward Him. If you don't reverence Him, if you don't respect God, if you're full of self and full of pride and full of ego, and you've got grudges against the man of God, there's no secret in you. The secret of the Lord is not with you. But if you go through life and you're struggling and you're in the storm, but you have a right attitude toward God, you are aware the presence of God is with you. So I'm be calm. Why aren't you falling apart? Because God's with you. Why aren't you falling apart? Because I know I'm right with God. Why aren't you falling apart? Because I've listened to Him and I've obeyed His words. I've obeyed His word. I fear God. The beginning, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. To have a reverential awe and respect of God. That's the beginning of the fear of the Lord. And to those people, the secret of the Lord dwells with them. So David could go through life knowing God was with him. And you know the struggles that David went through. You know the problems, the suffering, the storms that he went through. But he had something, the secret of the Lord. Because he feared God. Moses endured as seeing him which is invisible. That's how he endured. Because he knew, even though you couldn't see him with a visible eye, the invisible God is here. And Paul, he could endure and be calm in that storm because he knew he was aware of the presence of God in his life. He never lost that reality. And I pray to God today that, that you today are like David and like Moses and like Paul in the struggles and storms of your life. You are aware that God is with you. I don't wear the presence of the Lord. And I can't always avoid the storms. I can't always manipulate and, you know, trick my way out and, and connive my way out of a storm. Sometimes I just got, if I'm in the storm, I just got to face it. I got to find my shelter in the invisible God, know that He's there. And then somebody is going to look at me and they're going to say, you got some strength that I need. I need the strength you've got. I, where, where do you find your shelter in this time? <clears throat> Where do you find your peace in this time? God is with you. And they will come to you and they will look for strength from you because you have found strength in God. 
give the Lord praise in the house. <coughs> Life is not easy. Life is hard. Life is full of storms and full of struggles. If you think you're just going to go through life and everything's going to go your way, it's not. But I can tell you in the midst of those struggles and storms, if you know that God is with you, you will be able to endure. And you'll be able to be calm. And you'll be able to have peace. And you'll find the shelter in Him. And somebody will find a shelter in you. I will say this. Paul eventually takes over the whole ship. The so-called experts have to take a back seat to him. Because it will become evident that this is the one to listen to and not the experts. Well, what about the centurion position? Uh, what about the master, the owner of the ship position? But position or authority doesn't always come just because of position. Don't forget that. Authority doesn't come in life just because of your position. Authority, and because Paul has no position, he's a prisoner. He's headed to Rome, man. What position does he have? But he's going to be the one that ends up running the ship. You know why? Position doesn't come, authority doesn't come with position. We can put every, every one of you in a position. We can make you the president of this whole family. We can put you in a position of this and that and that, but that does not give you authority. True authority comes with integrity and competence. Integrity and recognized competence. It's not just position. Do I have integrity? Do I have competence? So what we have here, we got a centurion that has position. <clears throat> we have a master of the ship that has position. We got soldiers here who have position, but it will eventually be Paul who has the authority because authority, because Paul has integrity and recognized competence. They're going to recognize this man is competent. We need to listen to what he's saying because he's competent. problem today is the so-called experts have position, but they don't have competence. They have position, but they don't have integrity. But true authority is integrity and recognized competence. You won't have any problem in the kingdom of God finding a position of authority in your life if you have integrity and recognized competence. Somebody's going to see in your life you're competent. I'd love for you to take charge of this because I recognize confidence in your life and I recognize integrity in your life. You understand what I'm telling you? So <clears throat> Paul will eventually run this ship. He's calm. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of competence. And they're going to look to him for answers. And they're going to start listening to him. Say amen. How many of y'all want to be confident so God can fix you? It's not just about a title. Titles. What are titles? I can call every one of you an apostle. I can call every one of you a prophet. I can call every one of you by some title that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. 
means absolutely nothing because authority doesn't come with your title. It doesn't come with your position. It comes with integrity and competence. So this man, Paul, is going to run the ship not because he has position, but because he has authority of God. I really believe that some of you <coughs> in this church today that there are a lot of people who've watched your life. They've looked at your life. And because of your integrity and your confidence, they said, promote you. It's not because they were just looking for a title to give you because they liked you. That happens sometimes. It's, it's often not what you know, but who you know in this world. But I believe there's some people in this church today that your boss has said that's a competent person. Promote him. Where'd you get your confidence? You got your confidence from your integrity, and your integrity came from your walk with God. And they saw it. And so they said, put that one in there. Authority comes with integrity and confidence, <coughs> not position. So Paul will eventually take over this ship in his calmness and storm, struggles of life, and they will look to him to be a shelter. They will look to him in a time of struggle and storm. And so Paul says in verse 24, <coughs> verse 23, uh, verse 22, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Nobody's going to die. Of the 276 of us, there's not going to be one person that's going to die. How does he know that? That is a prophecy. That is a prophetic word. Prophecies flowing out of his mouth. Not one person is going to die of the 276. You see that? How do you know that? God told him. God told him not one person was going to die. Oh, this is going to get interesting. I want you to listen. Verse 24, <clears throat> verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. I belong to God and I serve God. I'm aware of the presence of the Lord and I serve Him. I have a right attitude toward Him. I serve God. All right? Listen. If you belong to God and you serve God, God's going to take care of you in your storm, in your struggle. He said, I belong to God and I serve God. And the angel of God stood by me this night. And so, <clears throat> watch. Verse 25. <clears throat> verse 24. And lo, God hath given thee all of them that sail with thee. Paul, because you're with them, because Paul is in that ship, and because he belongs to God and he serves God, because Paul is in that ship, the rest of the people are going to be saved. Because he's found a shelter in his God, others are going to find a shelter in him, and they will be spared because Paul is in the boat with them. You see that? Hallelujah. Are you a shelter in this life? Because you have found shelter in God. If you are, there are some people that are going to be saved because you're in their life. 
they would never be saved if it wasn't for you being in their lives. These people would not have been saved if God had not been in that man's life, the Apostle Paul, and if Paul had not been in their life, this man, these people, 275, the rest of them would not have been saved. God said, I belong to God and I serve God. And God said, He's given to me all of you. The reason why you'll be saved is because God gave you to me, said Paul. You catch that? See, God has already told him in Acts 19, 21, you're going to Rome. He's already, we know by Acts 25, it's already been declared, he's going to Rome. He will stand before Caesar. <clears throat> the word of God. God appeared to him in Acts, in Acts, we'd already looked at it. In Acts 19, you're going to Rome, Paul. God told him you're going to Rome. And so now we have a reassurance. Paul says, we're all going. We're going to make it because God has given all of you to me. Because Paul was in their life and because Paul found a shelter in his God, they could find a shelter in the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you something. His words would save them if listened to it. I will say this. His words will save the world if listened to I will say that if listened to, the church will be saved. If you listen to the words of Paul, I will say you will be saved individually if you listen to the words of Paul and obey them. These people find strength in him. The church finds strength in him. The soldiers found strength in him. The other prisoners that were not like Paul, prisoners that are going to be taken to Rome, to fight the wild animals in the outfield are saved because of Paul, who's a different kind of prisoner. He's going there on forgiveness. You catch what I'm telling you? God said it in His sovereignty. God predetermined it. He predetermined the outcome. Predetermination. In His sovereignty, God predetermined before it happened the outcome. The sovereignty of God. Predestination. He predestined. Watch this. Now listen carefully. The predestination of God is seen in this passage. Don't worry. All of you are going to make it. Not one of you going to die. And God has given all of you to me. His angel appeared to me that this night. He's so calm. He's so confident. Because he knows he belongs to God. Because he knows he's in the will of God. And he see, if you are if you belong to God and you know you're in the will of God, you belong to him and you serve him. Then the Lord says to Paul, says it I'm giving all these people. Don't make it. I'm going to be saved. Because of you. You understand that? Sovereignty of God, declaring it before it happens, predetermined and predestination. God just takes control and says, This is the end. Think about Moses. <clears throat> God put Moses to the test one day. Moses 
as a man going through great struggle, <coughs> great storms in his life, trying to bring a people of God into the promised land. They get into golden calf worship, idolatry, sin against God, all kinds of problems. God puts Moses to the test. He says, Moses, let me wipe them all out. And you and I will start over. Just stand aside, Moses. Let me kill them. They deserve to be killed. They deserve to die. You know what Moses does? You know, that, 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 that might be pretty... Uh, <coughs> A pretty tempting proposition coming from the Lord. You had all these problems with all these people, you know. You're trying to bring them to the promised land, and they were, you know, you know how they were. And, and then God said, Well, just step aside. I'll kill them all. We'll start over. Moses could have said, That sounds like a great idea to me, man. I don't think he'd say, Man. I don't think he'd say, That sounds like a good idea to me, man. I think he'd say, Yes, Lord, that sounds good. Kill them. I'm out of the way. We'll start over. He was testing Moses. And Moses becomes an intercessor before God. And he begins to pray for those people. He said, God, that doesn't sound like you. It doesn't sound like you coming in and wiping out this nation and starting over with me. It doesn't sound like you, Lord. He said, you brought these people out of Egypt and... You brought him out of Egypt, and you know all of these nations, they're watching to see what you'll do. All of these nations are seeing if you'll bring them into the promised land or not. And for you just to kill all of them, what are the nations of the world going to think about a God that brings his people out of Egypt and then kills them in the wilderness? Moses is praying for the people. But he's concerned about the character of God. What are the people going to think in the world if you kill your people? He was concerned about the character of God. Not like you, Lord, to do this. What are people going to say about you? If you kill all these people, you start over. He starts praying. <laughs> so God, because of the intercession of Moses, doesn't start over. He doesn't kill them all and start over with Moses. He said, I'm going to get you through, Moses. I'm going to get them through with you. Now, of course, there were some generational problems because that generation that came out of Egypt was killed. I know I'm boring you, but I'm just talking to you. So, you know, get what you can. You know, he, he they did die in the wilderness, that generation of rebels. But their children, their children, God brought them into the promised land. Moses led them right to the short, to the borders, and they could go on in under Joshua. See, if God had wiped out that generation, He'd have wiped out their seed. That generation of unbelievers would die in the wilderness, but the children of that generation would go into the promised land. 
I'll get you through, Moses. I'll get them through, Moses. Just trust me. See him that is invisible. Be aware of my presence. Know that I'm with you. And I'll, as I'm with you, I'll be with them and I'll get them through. They'll make it. And there were times when Moses doubted himself. <clears throat> there were times when his family said, what are you trying to do, Moses? And there were others that would come to him and say to him, you take too much on yourself. But yet God got him through. And he didn't have to start over with Moses. It was a test of Moses. Paul, I have predestined, predetermined by my sovereignty that all of these that are with you are going to make it with you. None of them's going to die because I've given them to you. And are y'all here today? Do you see this? Praise the Lord. At times, <coughs> Paul felt like quitting, felt like giving up. He doubted himself. All these problems coming in his life. He had to keep on holding on to the awareness and the presence of God himself. And knowing that he was in the presence of God. What will keep you calm in life is knowing God is with you, that you're in the will of God, that you have a right attitude of God, aware of God's presence, and then also knowing that you are in the will of God, that you are fulfilling His purpose in this world. And if you know you're fulfilling God's purpose in this world, you'll stand in the midst of a storm and be calm. Because I know I'm doing what God is telling me to do. It's not a self-confidence out of the will of God. It's a confidence knowing I'm in the will of God and I'm going to fulfill His purpose. And so Paul said, I belong to God and I serve the Lord and His angels stood by me this night. Whose I am and whose I serve, saying, Fear not, be calm. Thou must be brought before Caesar and, Lord God, hath given thee all them that shall be with thee. So now, another word, you're going to Caesar. You're going to stand before Nero and you're going to preach the gospel to a pagan king, to a pagan emperor. And everybody that's with you is going to know. Isn't that beautiful? <coughs> Predetermined, predestined by God, not one would die. That's one side of the coin. Go to Ephesians 1. Let me touch on this real quickly. Ephesians 1. Predestination. <coughs> These people would be saved. Their physical life would be saved. But it's a picture of those who will be saved eternally. Ephesians 1.4 According as He hath chosen us in Him, before the foundation of the world that we should what? Be holy 
and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Predestination is not God predetermining who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Did you read anything in that verse that, about predestination that said predestination is about heaven or hell? You didn't, did you? There are some who teach predestination is I'm pre, God has predestined or predetermined some to go to hell and some to go to heaven. That some can't go to heaven if, even if they wanted to. Okay? Because God has predestined them to go to hell. And he's predestined some to go to hell. Even if they don't want to go to hell and they want to be saved, they can't go to heaven because God has predetermined them to go to hell. Predestination. That's not predestination in the Bible. He has not predetermined or predestined anybody to go to heaven or anybody to go to heaven. I mean, or hell. Individually. What he has predestined you is if you're in the church, that you would be holy and without blame before Him in love. That's why He chose you in Him. That you might be holy and without what? Blame before Him in love. That someday you will stand before Him holy and without blame. And He's predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. So I will just tell you, and you go to Romans 8 and look at that as well. I don't have time this morning. Let me explain to you something. <clears throat> Predestination is this. God has predestined a church. A predestined a church he predestined, predetermined there would be a church in the world that He redeemed by His blood. He predetermined that before the world was created. Before there ever was a world, He had a plan in His mind that there would be a church in the earth by way of His finished work of death, burial, and resurrection. He predetermined that. Watch this. So if you get in the church, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you are, listen, listen carefully, if you are faithfully in Christ Jesus, faithfully in the church, because He has predestined the church to glory, if you are in the church faithful in Christ Jesus, then you will end up in glory. But He didn't predestine you to glory and somebody else to hell. He predestined the church to glory. So if you get in the church and you stay in the church, you will end up in glory. And He has predestined that you would be holy and blameless before Him in love on that day. So we got the predetermined, predestined will of God here. Everybody's going to be saved here. In this passage, right? What God said. That's His will. <coughs> Thank God. 
jump over into the second side of this dark pane. <coughs> Verse 31, look, this is the other side of the coin. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. But I thought God said that everybody is going to make it. Not one would be, would die. That is his predetermined will. That's predestination. That's his sovereignty. He said not one would die. He had given them all to Paul. But then Paul turns around and says, verse 31, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. See, it's not once saved, always saved. God has predetermined and predestined that those that are faithful in Christ Jesus, faithful in the church of the living God, He has predetermined those that stay in the ship will be in heaven. But if you don't stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So in God's predetermined, predestined will, He said nobody would be lost. But then on the other hand, it's conditional. They have to stay in the ship or they will be. So God's sovereignty and God's predetermined will never relieves you of your responsibility to stay faithfully in Christ Jesus. So but how do I know I'm saved today, Pastor? If you're born again of the water and the Spirit, and you're living a holy life, and you're faithful in Christ Jesus, you're saved. But if you get out of the ship, if you get out of the vessel, if you get out of the church, you will be lost. I thought God said, anybody be saved? He did. But you need to understand that the sovereignty of God, His predestined word and predetermined word, Included not only the end, which is salvation, but it included the means of salvation, stay in the boat. Did you catch that? <clears throat> so all you got to do is become a born again believer as, you know, the Bible tells you, and not have self-confidence, I'm saved. What do you have to stand on if you haven't obeyed that form of doctrine which was delivered you from the apostles? All you have is a false sense of security. But if you've obeyed that form of doctrine which was delivered you from the apostles, you have repented of your sin, you've been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin, and you have been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, and you live a holy and separated life unto Him, and you are in Christ Jesus faithfully, you don't have to worry about it. If you'll make it to heaven, He has predetermined you will be So, if the Lord doesn't come and I find myself on my deathbed, I don't have to worry about where I'm going. As long as I'm faithfully in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Do you understand what I just said? What I just shared with you, okay, when, when Paul said, Lo, God hath given thee all them that sell with thee. This is not Calvin. This is not John Calvin. This is not Calvinistic um, fatalism. 
Calvinistic fatalism says everything <coughs> everything in this world is predetermined. Everything. And everything is inevitable. Did you catch what I said? That's fatalism. Well, it's going to happen anyway regardless of what I do. No, we are not into fatalism. It's not what will be, will be. Okay? God has predetermined the church to be in glory. If you're in the church, if you choose to be in the church, then you'll be in glory. But you can change the outcome of your destination by your choice. You can choose to choose against the will of God. And if you choose to choose against the will of God, then you will be on a path that leads to hell. And if you choose to choose against the will of God and you get off the path, then God's going to send problems to you. He will send problems. I said it, yes. He will send problems to you. He will use the devil to drive you back into his arms to get you on the right path. If you choose against if you choose to choose against His will, if you choose against the predetermined path of God, He'll do everything He can to get you back on the right path, but if you continue that direction, you will end up in hell because that is predetermined. depends on what path you're on. It's predetermined. Okay? So the enemy comes and says, you'll be saved, don't worry about it, live how you want to. You can be inconsistent. You don't have to be on fire. You don't have to watch yourself live holy. Just do whatever you want to do and you'll make it to heaven. And he brings that unconditional eternal security to you. You better wake up because there's another side to the coin. And that is you have to stay in the ship. That's man's responsibility. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Eye-openers. <coughs> Understand what's coming. So that's why we take the time to pray. That's why we take the time to keep under our bodies, bring them under subjection, beat them black and blue. That's why we take the time to live holy, walk with God, and not give ourselves to sin in the world, because we know that we're predetermined to be holy and blameless before Him. That's what we're predetermined to do: is to live a holy life. See, when he got you in the church, he predetermined a path to live, and that's a holy life. If you don't live a holy life on that predetermined path, you're off, you're off the predetermined path of God. Because his predetermined path, a predestined path, is that we would be holy and blameless before him. So if you stop living holy, you got off his predestined path. That's true predestination. That's true predestination. Okay, so anyway, I got off the subject there. I just want to, you know, throw that out there to you just so you understand. Okay? <clears throat> I think I need to. I'm going to go. That's what the Lord needed me. Romans 8. Just let me look at this verse. <coughs> Hallelujah. Ephesians. We read some there. Uh, 
Uh, the Bible talks about for, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. That's what I'm looking for, if anybody can help me find that. Thank you, sir. I sure appreciate you. Okay. <coughs> Verse 28. Uh, leading into this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that what? Love God. It does not all things work together for the good, period. All things work together for the good to them that love God. See, when that, that false self-confidence, when they launched from Crete and the winds were blowing softly, they thought they had reached their purpose and then the storm hit them. We know all things work together for good, they would say. But the Bible says we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are who are called who are called according to purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to go to heaven? To go to hell? No predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what He predestinated us to be. To be holy and blameless before Him. And He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Doesn't say anything about He's going to send some to heaven and some to hell. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also did what? Glorified. What shall we then say to these things if God before us can be against us? You understand that? <clears throat> Now you understand predestination. It only took you ten minutes. God has ordained the end, which is salvation, but also He has ordained the means to get there. Both of them are in His sovereign will. God ordained that they would be saved, but He ordained the method they would be saved. Stay in the ship. You get out, you're going to die. You're going to die. Now, you ought to be happy as you can be. But I took 10 minutes of your time, okay? <clears throat> so I showed you both sides of the coin, didn't I? God said, they're going to all. God said, I'll give all them to you. Not one of them's going to be lost. And the other side of the coin is, they won't be saved, said Paul. They get out of the ship. Okay, let's get back. That's what it hurts my That sounds like that word, you know, not just preach word, but when that word hits you, the light comes on. Mm-hmm. What that means, I see. Said the blind man. (coughs) 
25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. He said, I believe. See, let me tell you something. God's amazing. He's an amazing God. I believe God. How many believe God? I believe God said God. <clears throat> that it shall be even as it was told me. How be it? Oh. I believe God it shall be even as it was told me. Maybe Brother Edmonds, when he comes back, I'd like for him, uh, if you'll remind me, I'm going to ask Brother Edmonds to give you the, the Chinese character for faith. Get him to, to draw that character for faith out. In that character for the word faith, a part of that character, there is a mouth with lines coming out of it. And those lines represent word or words coming out of the mouth. And then there's a man in that character of faith standing over beside the mouth with lines coming out of it. So the Chinese character shows you what faith is. A man standing by the word. <clears throat> Wonder how those Chinese knew that. There was a man by the name of Noah. Engaged in that language. And that language is rooted in, is rooted in the scripture. So that the word faith is depicted by a biblical character, a man standing on the outside, standing beside the word. <coughs> Amen. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Love it. How many believe God? It shall be even as it was told me. God said it, I believe it. And that settles it. No, God said it. I'm standing by the word. That's faith. God said it. That settles it. I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to question it. God said it. You'd be wise to believe it. Then you'll be saved. Are y'all all right out there? I know, man. You don't have to tell me. It's been painful. Yeah. Verse 1 says, How be it when we must be cast upon a certain island? We must be cast on an island. But when the 14th night was come, they've been weeks in that storm, man. Weeks in that trial. Brother, um, find out where people are. I, I'm missing people. Would you please check for me where they are? Thank you so much. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down, in Adria, about the mid, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. They start sounding out. Found there 20 fathoms, and when they had gone a little further, they sounded again, found 15 fathoms, so it's getting shallower as they're traveling, right? <coughs> now remember, they haven't been able to navigate because it's been dark. They're under the sovereign hand of God now. God's leading that. See, God's got his hand on that ship. He's the invisible captain of the ship. Paul is taken over. God is in charge. <clears throat> then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out to the stern and what? Wish for the day. Cast the anchors out for them. Wish for the day. 
I've been there. Have you ever been there? Been in a storm and a trial. You just, it's dark. You don't know what. You can't navigate through it, you know. You just know it's getting a little shallower as you go here. Pull out the anchors, man, and wish for the day. <coughs> I've been there. Real fast, real quick. I don't have a lot of time. Real fast, real quick. My We went when I was a little kid with my grandfather, my aunt and uncle, to fish somewhere. And some some river over close to the, the border of Texas and Mexico. I think it's Presidio. I'm not real sure. Is that is that a proper area or not? Am I on the, on the map here? Am I on the map here? Let's see. Yeah, I don't see. I was so little. I don't know exactly all the geography. But my grandpa looked at the sky. He looked at the heat. He felt the heat. He felt the the uh, atmosphere. He said. We better get off this low ground and get to the high ground because there's a storm. And so that's exactly what we did. We went from the low ground to the high ground, and that night a storm hit that place that made the news even locally here. And, and there were some people. It got so dark, church, and it rained so hard. It was like sheets of rain coming down. And we were up there. At the top, we'd have been washed away. We'd have been down. You wouldn't even have your pastor today if God hadn't used my grandfather. We'd have been washed away. Rain's coming down, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you couldn't see the darkness and the rain, and we heard two people going down the river screaming for help, which we later found out they lost their life. And through that night, you know, that's very eerie for a young man to hear. And through that night, I couldn't sleep all night long. I just kept waiting. You know how you start having these imaginations. And I started, I was waiting for somebody to come and jump on the hood of the car all bloody and, you know. You know what I'm saying? I, watch, I used to watch too many scary movies. <laughs> and I was waiting for them to fall on the car, you know. Um, but I can tell you, that in that time in my life is the scariest, one of the most scariest times I've ever lived through. I wish for that. I couldn't wait for the sun to come up the next morning. And when we got up the next morning, there was so much rain it carved another river out of the mountains down to the north. It's on the course. So I can understand. I've never been in a boat storm like this, but I can understand wishing for the day. <coughs> I'm almost done. <coughs> Paul, calm, calm, in the presence and the purpose of God. God said, fear not. Verse 30, and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the, the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, set these about in the ship, you cannot be saved. Stay in the ship. Stay in the church. Some of you will hear this word come back to you because you will go through a trial and a storm in your life that will tempt you to step out of church. You have to stay in the boat in the storm. I told you this in the, in the meeting. And the meeting. Just because you're going through something, never miss church. Okay? Because you're going through something. Don't just sit at home because you're going through something. Because if you step out of that ship completely, you cannot be saved. 
who his salvation depends on. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat> How do you know what it's like? You go through struggles and trials and storms in your life, then you come to church. Oh, you feel that protection, that security, and that calmness. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that old ship is I might be tossed to and fro. But if you'll stay in the ship, you'll be saved. The Bible doesn't say the old ship is I. It's not going to be tossed to and fro in a storm and have all kinds of trials. But if you stay in the ship, you'll be saved. It's better than jumping out in the cold water. There are some people in the boat who are not in the boat. They're in the physical church house, but they're really not in the ship. There's your heart. There's your life. See, the, the soldiers would have been content just to kill all of them and deliver bodies to the Roman government because that's all they were worried about was delivering bodies, dead or alive. But if they show up without a body, then somebody has to give their life for that body. All they were worried about was counting bodies, dead or alive. Paul said to the centurion, verse 31, except they abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all the day. Oh, to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day. She had carried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. They couldn't have been. They were scared to death. They were storming. This didn't have anything to do with the Yom Kippur fast. Okay? They just, <clears throat> they couldn't eat. <clears throat> All right? Oh, well, maybe, maybe too. They threw most of it over. They threw grain. They threw the tackle. <clears throat> I mean, they threw most of their supplies over. They got a little bit of food. I mean, it's, it's that bad. <clears throat> So Paul says, give me something to eat, you know. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. Amen. First time I've ever found out that meat was good for your health. Maybe that word isn't really meat. Maybe that's just food. I pray you take some food. I'm sorry, but i got to have a hamburger every once in a while. i got to have a cheeseburger, you know what I mean? I'm just... For this is for your health, for there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. <clears throat> Another prophecy. <clears throat> and when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God. You know, I mean, hey, he took the time to pray over his meal and offer thanks to God. How many of you, now don't lift your hand, I'm just asking you because I want you to think about it. You go out there and you sit down in public and you Get your meal and you take time to pray over your food and offer thanks to God. If you don't, you ought to be shot. Well, my boss is with me. Uh, sir, would you mind if I pray over this meal? Lord Jesus, thank you for this food we're about to eat. In Jesus' name, amen. Then eat. I mean, they might not be believers that I need to pray for my meal. Could you join me, please? <clears throat> now, Paul is surrounded by a pagan centurion. He's a good man in relationship to Paul. Okay? He's surrounded by pagan soldiers. He's got prisoners there. He said, let's all gather to pray. And offer 
thanks to God for this food we're about to eat. And we pray for that. <coughs> Who's he praying to? The invisible God. He's aware of it. <coughs> Amen. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. You know, they made it uh, almost. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> and when we were, uh, and when we were in all in the ship, two hundred three score sixteen souls. See, I told you there's two hundred seventy six people. You didn't believe me. When they had eaten enough, they liked in the ship, cast out the wheat in the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek. Say a certain creek or a certain bay. That word literally means the bosom of a woman. Like a little child looking for security. Scared. Has found the bosom of its mother. The father has brought that ship to a place of security and safety. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. They all found his shelter in God and they found his shelter, their shelter in Paul. <clears throat> when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were mindful if it were possible to thrust him in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea, loosed the rudder bands and no, ho, hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore, and falling into a place where two seas met. That's a message right there. That's Calvary. The center and circumference of the will of God. It's the center and circumference of the will of God. It's the center and circumference of, the, of history. Calvary, where two seas meet. Two kinds of people. Lost men. Lost and saved. Anyway. Falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the fore part struck fast and remained unmovable. But the hind part was hind part was broken with the violence of the waves. The soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. <clears throat> but the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safely. I tell you what, man, this old ship in Zion, this church, if it breaks apart, the main thing is you stayed in the ship. If it breaks apart, grab a piece of wood, grab a plank, grab a board, hold on to whatever you can, because that's going to take you to the shore. If you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and 5, you see a company of people who made it to the other side. Lamps burning bright. And the Lamb's book of life is opened up. And a roll call of the assembly is given. As to those who made it into heaven. Someday there's going to be a great roll call. Did that person make it? They were in the ship. Did they make it to the other side? Lamps burning bright. Let's have the roll call out of the Lamb's book of life. And when they call your name, will you be there? Then you say, I did. You read the book of Revelation, you'll see it. And they got onto that little that little island of Malta, Malita, 
over here, and I showed it to you earlier. <laughs> All 276 of them made it to shore alive. Every one of them. Aristarchus and Luke and Paul and, and the centurion, Julius and, and the soldiers and those other prisoners and the crew of the ship. Every one of them made it to the other side. Although the Bible doesn't say it, they had to be a roll call because they found that everybody made it. Luke, I'm here. Paul, I'm here. Aristarchus, I'm here. Julius, here. And on down the list, not one of them was lost. Prophecy fulfilled. <clears throat> Just like God said, they stayed in the ship. When it broke up, they held on to the ship, made it to the shoreline. And the roll call was given, and not one was lost. And the Bible says in chapter 28, and I'm coming to a close, and when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Milita or Malta today. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. They, <clears throat> they were known as barbarous people, but they were kind. They were known as barbarians, but they were kind barbarians. <laughs> Thank God. You know, and God is like that. He does not overlook the smallest or even the large details, but the smallest details. The kindness that these islanders showed to this crew that had been washed up on the shore. These barbarians of this island want to help you, want to help you. The kindness that was showed to them by these barbarians. You know, there are maybe there are some kind barbarians. But I tell you one thing, God took note of it. God took note of it. Kindness. Any kindness that you do in the name of the Lord, He takes note of it. He records it. <clears throat> barbarians people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled the fire. And received us everyone because the present rain became because it was they were cold, they were wet, tired. <coughs> Got a little fire going on, you know. And what does Paul do? There's another message right here. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. You could title the message, and when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks. This man of God, this apostle, he wasn't, he wasn't above him to get his hands dirty. He saw a need. He saw what was necessary. He saw some wet people and some cold people that needed to be warmed. And he said, I'll take care of the need myself. And he went and gathered a bundle of sticks. Why would he do that? Because he... He knew he had to do what was needed and what was necessary to get to Rome. Whatever's needed and whatever is necessary to get to Rome, Paul was willing to do it, even if it was just gathering a bundle of sticks. Whatever it takes to fulfill the purpose of God and go to preach the gospel in Rome, he gathered a bundle of sticks. You know, I thank God for this church. Would you like that? To gather bundle of sticks, whatever it takes to spread the gospel. You see the need, you see what's necessary, and you get it done. God bless your heart. God is going to record everything that you've done. Even Paul, why would God even take the time to record an apostle going up there and gathering a bundle of sticks? 
to show you that what was needed and what was necessary was done to get to the And when he reached up there and he grabbed that bundle of sticks, he didn't know there was a snake in there because that snake was stiff like a stick because of the cold. The cold had made the snake stiff like a stick. And as soon as he threw that little bundle of sticks on the fire, it warmed up that bundle. And as soon as he did, that, that viper, a poisonous snake, jumped out and latched itself on the hands of Paul. And those people of that island said, vengeance is going to get him. Justice is going to get him. He escaped the sea, but this murderous man, vengeance or justice is going to make sure he pays. And when they use the word vengeance, it's not with a little V, or if with another translation, justice, it wasn't with a little J. It was with a capital V or a capital J. They saw vengeance as a god. They saw justice as a goddess. And they said, he escaped the sea, but the goddess justice is going to get him. He escaped the sea, but the god of vengeance is going to get him. Jumped to the conclusions, didn't they? Said he was a murderous man, and the sea didn't get him, but the snake's going to get him. Vengeance is going to take care of that man. Wrong conclusion. False conclusions. Verse 4, And when the barbarians saw that the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffered not to live. This should be capitalized. They saw it as a God. Vengeance or justice is not going to suffer him to live. He's a murderer. <coughs> now watch this. we got a serpent fastened on his hand. Remember what it says in Mark chapter 15? These signs shall follow them that believe. What are they, what's going to happen? They shall take up serpents. That doesn't mean they're going to handle snakes in a church. That doesn't mean I'm going to bring up a basket of rattlesnakes tonight, throw it in the floor and say, come on up here and see if you got faith. And if it bites you, you still got to have faith. That's tempting the Lord. Bible didn't say tempt the Lord. If you drink any deadly thing, not when you drink it. If you do. All right? They shall take up serpents. I think that, that means they're handling demonic spirits. If they drink any deadly thing, if they drink any, they shall not hurt them. So now we have an actual fulfillment of that scripture because we got a serpent Venomous snake bit his hand. He just shook it off in the fire and went on. And then they said, He's a God. One minute they say he's a murderer and vengeance is going to kill him. And the next minute they see he survived it. He's a God. See how people are? They jump to wrong conclusions. I can. You can. Let me take a drink. You mind? Take a drink. I know. Every time in my life, <clears throat> I'm jumping to wrong conclusions. And I thought it was discernment from God, you know. Because God talking to me, you know. 
try the spirits. You have to try. That's why you have to try the spirit to see whether or not they are of God. Okay? If you test the spirit, try and ask God, then okay, go with it. But I'm saying your initial, your initial conclusion could be wrong. That's my point. Their initial conclusion that he was a murderer was wrong. Their secondary conclusion was wrong. He's not a God. He's a man bringing the gospel to him. Let me give you a good example of <coughs> people who get caught up in false conclusions about, about people. There was a preacher of a church, and this was actually in the bulletin of a church. This is a true story. True story. It's not made up. I'm not embellishing him. This is a true story. Can you give me a little more time? Maybe I'll not tell you that story. I'll just go on. All right, okay. I tested you. <clears throat> Came out that some people were saying about this minister that he went and drug his wife. First of all, his wife went to a meeting of a heretical group of people, people that had heresy in their midst. That this pastor's wife went to this meeting of this heretical group and that this pastor went into that meeting and drug his wife, dragged her out of that meeting by the hair, took her to his house and beat her. The pastor got up and he responded to these conclusions or accusations. He said, I did not go to that meeting and drag my wife out of the meeting. Nor did I drag, nor did I beat her when I got her home. Nor did my wife even go to that meeting of heretical people. And finally, I'm a bachelor, bachelor and don't have a wife. <laughs> if you went to sleep, you missed the whole thing. <laughs> Let me tell you, boy, that tongue gets to... You get, some, get around some unsanctified sisters and even some brethren. Man, that tongue gets going on. You have a story about a man who's not even married, dragged his wife out of the church and beat her when he got her home. Brother Dash used to say it this way. You're, you're too gullible to even be Hispanic. So anyway, hallelujah, I'm almost done, you can tell. <coughs> Paul <coughs> gathered a bundle of sticks and the fire was Heating up those sticks, that's when the serpent came out. See, when, when the church is really on fire, when things, now you might be wet, you might be cold, you're sitting by the fire, you understand? But if there's a fire in the church, that's when cold serpents start to come alive. Serpents that you didn't know were there start appearing. As one pastor talked to, I'm not giving you names here, but the, uh, a well known apostle in the earth today. A pastor called him and said, I don't understand. I've been here for 13 years and I've never had any problems in the church until just now. And this apostle that's well known in the earth told him, he says, 
is because God has uncovered certain so your church will have always been there. You just didn't know they were there. You just didn't know they were there. <clears throat> so you got fire in the church. Just get ready. There's going to be serpents that we not be may not be aware of that are there. Amen. And when they touch the fire, they're going to jump out and bite you. Praise the Lord. The good news is, though, if you gather a bundle of sticks and a serpent jumps out of the fire and latches it on to you, you can shake it off in the fire you create. So gather yourself a little bundle of sticks. Make sure you got a fire burning. And if a snake does burn out, jump out on you because you're trying to do something good, just shake it off into the fire that you created. Are y'all awake tonight? Today, whatever time it is. But you got to have a fire burning when a snake jumps on you. But anyway, no deadly thing hurt here. We just kept on going. Praise the Lord. <coughs> I told you there's a message in that I don't have time to preach, but I better preach it to you. Okay, let's go on here. Where am I? I've lost my. Okay, yeah. Verse 5. He shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly just after they had looked at a great while and, and saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a God. Oh, people. Human, human factor. Listen, they, they'll miss an apostle. They'll miss God because they're sitting with preconceived ideas. There's wrong conclusions in the same quarter, yeah. See, he's up Pastor don't like me. Pastor don't want me in his church. I just know it. If I didn't want you, you'd know it. So don't, don't jump to any conclusions. All you that are with me, we're going to make it. I'm not looking to go anywhere. Uh, if I ever said I was going to start over, because I thought all of you going to leave me. That's what I meant by that. When I, when I was planning on going anywhere. I thought you was going to get mad and leave. That's what I meant. <laughs> I pretty much made up my mind. I'm going to be here. You know, I cough like an old lady, your old man. <sighs> in the storm, in the trial. Okay. Praise the Lord. Man, I want to be the strength of this church. And I get my strength from me and it's for the Paul. And you can be a strength to somebody in your life when they see the calmness because you're aware of His presence and purpose in your life. And they come to you. How do you do it? How? Tell me. And you have an opportunity to spread the gospel. Okay, I need to hurry here, but you know the point, don't you? <coughs> And the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courtesy and it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. And when Paul entered in, prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. The father of this chief of this island is sick with a 
fever and the bloody flux. And Paul goes in there. The Bible doesn't say the man was a believer. The Bible doesn't say he became a believer. The Bible doesn't say he believed the gospel. The Bible doesn't even say Publius did. Paul walked into the, into the room of a pagan and laid hands on him, a barbarian, and God healed him so that they would know a man who's bringing the gospel was with him. Not a God, not a murderer, but a gospel preacher. I don't even have a record that anybody became a believer in this passage. But the gospel touched that shore. Jesus, I love you. Yeah, I want to go to 27. I don't know why. Got 27. Okay. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. I don't believe it. I don't see about one of them coming to say. Saving faith. None of them born again. Just healed. <clears throat> Who also honored us with many honors. And when we were departed, they laid it, laid us, laid it, laid us. Let me go back to first grade. With such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed into the ship of Alexandria. We got another ship now, another grain ship of Egypt, which had wintered into the Isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. These are the twins. This is Gemini. And their, their images are on this ship of Alexandria. And they think that, that Casper and Pollux are basically, they looked at them as gods watching over them in their nautical endeavors and nautical navigational sea, uh, sea-wearing adventures that they believe that these two watched over them. So anyway, the sign of Castor and Pollux of Gemini. And landed at Syracuse. So now we move up. Syracuse, right here. That's Cilicia. Where's that? Sicily? Yeah. Cilicia. See, I can't read it. We spell our read. Cilicia. Just silly word. Silly Cilicia. How do you say it? Sicily. Sizzly, they made it there. Right? Syracuse. <coughs> there, there, three days from thence we fetched a compass and came to where? Regium. Regium. Right there. The foot of Italy. Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came to Putioli. <laughs> I'm sorry. Y'all made me laugh. I want to laugh if you had a laugh. <clears throat> well, we found brethren and, and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. <coughs> Amen. And that, that's where we'll stop. No, really. And from thence we went to the brethren, heard of us, they came to meet us as far as the Appy Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Amen. And when we came to Rome, 
and say, and then we came to Rome. And as the Lord stopped that river, then we came to Rome. They made it all the way to Rome. Man, he went through a lot, didn't he? Hallelujah. I was going to try to finish the book of Acts this morning, but I changed my mind. I think I'll finish it next week if that's all right with you. Is that all right with you? We'll find Paul in Rome next week. How many of you want to be calm in the midst of storms and trials? You want to find a shelter in God so somebody can find a shelter in you. You don't want to walk in self-confidence. You want to walk by the Word of God. And I do believe if we'll listen to what Paul says, by listening to the Word that Paul says, we'll be saved. How many believe that today? Hallelujah, Lord. We, we stand before you right now. We are aware of your presence. You are the invisible God. That's how we remain calm. We stand in your will, fulfilling your purpose. 